Welcome back to My Life Plus 25. As you, many of you know, my name is Audio Chavez, and for the last 17 years, I have been wrongfully convicted. And this platform, this fight for awareness, isn't just about my case. It's about bringing awareness to the injustice that plagues so many aspects of the justice system. And today, I want to talk about a little bit about doing an exercise that has to do with empathy. Um, usually when we're trying to understand what's going on with another life, uh, another problem, whether it be a health or a justice issue, it usually helps to try to understand and see the situation through the eyes of another. This situation is not always easy to do. It's not always easy to put ourselves in the situation of another and try to view something through the eyes of another. But I want to do this exercise because I think it'll help people understand why it is that I'm asking for support, whether that be financial support to continue this legal battle or support by shout outs on social media or support by likes and follows on any, any of the platforms that I'm currently on. And what I'm going to ask every single one of my listeners today to do is to walk with me down a proverbial rabbit hole, right? A hypothetical situation that I'm going to paint for you. So I want to say it like this. Let's imagine for a moment that you're in your late 20s. You're a corporate executive and business owner. You're a parent. You're by no means a perfect person, but you're not involved in criminality and you're not addicted to any kind of drugs and you're basically doing your best. You're also a minority, right? And you sometimes have to deal with the inequalities that, that come along with that like racism or xenophobia, you've had some failures for sure, some relationships, a marriage, even a bankruptcy, even a bankruptcy. But despite these hardships, you're able to pick yourself up again and again and persevere. And actually, your failures are something that you're actually quite proud of, right? Because aside from your daughter, which you're most proud of, your failures have helped to define your character. And then... Let's say that something goes amiss. No, no, not something. Several things go amiss. Now, you're a shareholder in a tech company where you're also an executive vice president, but things begin to go wrong, right? The relationships within begin to fray. There's a divorce. There's a father-in-law who's a senior partner in the company, and he's also trying to look out for the interests of his daughter. There are criminal tendencies in some of the other business partners. There are threats of violence against your life. Now, you return from a business trip, let's say, right? And you find that your residence has been burglarized. The sanctity of your home violated. And the following day, you learn that the responsible parties for this violation of your home are your business partners. Right? They were the ones that were behind this. Now, the question I have for you, well, of many questions, is what do you do? How do you respond to this type of violation to the sanctity of your home? Now, some of you might say, call the police, right? That seems like the obvious answer. But let's remind ourselves that you're a minority, that the individuals who are accusing you are white, they're wealthy, they're well-connected, and would likely only be further provoked by this calling the police. So keep in mind that these individuals are also threatening your, threatening your life. What do you do? Now, another question that you might be asking yourself is why are these business associates so angry? 
I mean, and that's a, that's a very fair, fair question that needs to be answered. And the simplest of answers is, as it always, almost always is the case, is money. They want you to compensate them for the financial losses on a business venture, where all were exposed to risk and all lost. And the reason that, that this failure has occurred is because there was very little honesty to begin with on any side. I mean, everyone was hiding something from the others and the snowball effect of their, of these somethings, right? Caused this business pr- proposed venture capital and eventually hoped for IPO to collapse like a house built on toothpaste or matchsticks. And you simply saw it before everyone else and you were smart enough to hedge yourself against what was going to be an anticipated loss better than everyone else did. And that made you an easy scapegoat. Now you were walking away with losses like everyone else, but not nearly the six and seven figure losses that everyone else was going to be exposed to. They thought, right? They thought that if they burglarized you, that if they looked into your home, if they went and got everything out of your home, that they would find evidence that you committed fraud. But said evidence didn't exist, and they didn't realize this till after the fact. And now that you've been burglarized, right? And now that now that that you've been burglarized, your partners, your by your own business partners, you're obviously upset. You're pissed off. Actually, you're fucking livid. If ever there was there was going to be a moment when you were going to help them or help the business out of friendship. That ship has sailed because these people just violated the sanctity of your home. Now, you're just fine walking away with your gains. After all, they've just proven that they're not really your friends anyway. So what is it to you if these people can't go uh, bankrupt? Right? You could give a shit if they go bankrupt after what they've just done to you. Now, the problem is that they're still threatening your life. Now, I don't want to get too bogged down into the details in this hypothetical because it'll distract from the point being made here. You leave town because of these insistent demands and threats upon your life. Now, if you're in another state, you reach out to an old friend who you think you can trust, right? And you ask him for help in protecting your your life, obviously. Now, what you don't realize at this point is that he's not your friend and that it's quite possible that he's never actually been your friend. Anyway... He pretends to be sympathetic to your cause, but of course he's not. And on the day of your planned departure from the city, he lures you to a vacant property under the false pretense of viewing a potential investment property, right? Kills the the realtor and then gets himself arrested. Now, when he gets himself arrested, he implicates you. And since you happen to be in, let's call this hypothetical situation, Smallville, USA, the police simply aren't interested in who did it. They have a murder victim whose brother is a high-ranking federal marshal demanding justice. They have someone in custody who is willing to talk. Now, whether he's willing to talk because of sincerity or self-preservation, that's irrelevant to the police. And what matters is that they initially believe him enough to arrest you. Now, follow me a little further down this hypothetical rabbit hole. You know that you didn't kill anyone. And because of which, you convince yourself that there's one of two things is going to happen. A, your once friend and sole accuser will eventually have an attack of conscience and realize that regardless of your personal differences, he can't do this to you. Or B, you're thinking, surely the police are going to perform a thorough investigation that will reveal the error of their initial assumption. But with these two assumptions, what you fail to account for are two prevalent realities 
that exist in many Smallville-like police departments across this nation. It's called bureaucratic convenience and groupthink. Eventually, it becomes clear to you that because possibility A that you would already hope for isn't going to materialize, your supposed friend is going to choose self-preservation until the end. However, the official investigation does reveal that your accuser and one-time friend gave so many contradictory and false statements that putting him on the stand against you before a jury would be extremely, how would I say, problematic for the state's case against you. The most pressing of which is how ridiculous all these law enforcement authorities are going to appear when it comes out that they believed the now proven proven lies were the first suspect in custody for the murder. And we already know that there are other external factors as well pressing upon this decision of what and how to prosecute whom, such as who the victim is related to, which I already mentioned. Now, the authorities decide that admitting fault or error to the public doesn't bode well for their careers or their political aspirations or whatever. And therefore, they decide to stay the course with the state's prosecution against you. Which finally brings us to the crux of the tragedy unraveling itself in your hypothetical life. And here's why. For the state to successfully convict you for something you didn't do, they need convincing evidence to present to the jury. They don't have DNA or conclusive forensic science, which means that aside from the fact that you were present at the scene of the crime for perfectly legitimate reasons, mind you, what they need... What they need the jury to see and hear is an accusation. The problem, however, is that your accuser has managed to get himself indicted by the hand of his own lies and omissions to the authorities, which makes putting him on the stand against you extremely problematic for the elected DA. Now, if he were to have an attack of conscience, right, your sole accuser, and were to tell a different version of the truth under oath, that would be devastating to the state's case. And there's also the possibility that he continues to sell the lies that he initially sold to the police. But would they hold up under cross-examination? That's the problem. Because an attack of conscience or a breakdown under cross-examination would lead to a, a very high probability of acquittal. Good for you because you didn't hurt anybody. Good for justice for the same reasons. But very, very bad for the careers of those who systematically dismantled your life. And that's the state's problem, right? It's the Sixth Amendment and the subsequent holding decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court related to said amendment, all of which say that you have a fundamental right to a fair trial, to process. And as part of that right, you also have the right to confront your one and only accuser through cross-examination before the jury. Because what the law says on this is very clear. It's not good enough that your friend accuses you from the compromised position of being under arrest and in an interrogation room, he has to do so under oath before a jury, and your attorney gets to cross-examine him because that's the law. Now, this process and constitutional guarantee has been called by the Supreme Court, and I quote, the crucible of cross-examination. It's been called the most effective mechanism ever invented for the, for the discovery of truth. And this process, this right, this truth-sifting mechanism isn't given to you. Now, you can call it judicial incompetence, you can call it prosecutorial misconduct, ineffective assistance of counsel. Pick one or all of them, and you're not wrong. Now, this type of constitutional violation, which is known as the Confrontation Clause violation of the Sixth Amendment, 
it has served as the basis of, res of reversing countless convictions in instances where the state has done this exact same thing to others. But when it comes to you and your case, your issue is ignored. Actually, the state appellate courts of Smallville have had numerous opportunities to address the unconstitutional nature of your conviction, but choose to stall and defer for 17 long years. And they do this knowing perfectly well that by delaying, they are preventing you from pursuing your, your claims in front of the federal court. And despite their best efforts to defeat you through attrition, right, or hoping that maybe you would succumb to prison violence or a drug overdose, suicide, or a medical-related death from COVID or something else, you're still standing. Now, obviously, in your life, this is all hypothetical, and I truly hope that this never becomes anything more real than a hypothetical exercise. But you see, for me, your hypothetical scenario is my very real reality. Because I was convicted for a crime I didn't commit based on a single self-serving accusation that I was never able to confront on, or cross-examine. And the elected Attorney General of New Mexico, Hector Balderas, someone who swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, unless it's apparently inconvenient to do so, is arguing for the court to give the state of New Mexico a pass. Right? He apparently seems to think that the state should be able to pick and choose who gets constitutional protection and who doesn't. He apparently seems to think that color-coded justice is just fine. And this is why I'm asking for all of your help. Because if the past is any indication of the future, the courts usually give deference to politicians like Balderas. They give them what they want, which is why I need your support. Now, whether you support me in the form of a subscription on my on my newsletter on Substack or a donation on my website or shout-outs on social media, I need your help. This isn't just about me. My life has already been dismantled. Everything that has already ever mattered to me, from my daughter to my spouse to my career, that's all gone. There's only one thing left, and that one thing that still matters, and that's this fight. Not because winning would ever give me any of that stuff back. It wouldn't. It couldn't, actually. But winning this, telling the state that it can't just pick and choose who gets constitutional rights and who doesn't, that's what matters here. That's why winning is so important. But to win requires the resources of a village. It requires that other people like yourself speak up. And if I have the support from all of you, I won't lose this. And that means that the state will not set a precedent that allows them to decide that a brown, a black, a poor person, an Asian person, or anyone else from any ethnicity whatsoever doesn't qualify for constitutional rights just because they say so. In this nation, rights are sacrosanct. The Declaration of Independence speaks in, of unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm not going to allow myself to be convinced that they're just worse. So I'm asking, please contribute to this fight, because even if this place were to take my life, when we win this fight, that win will save someone else's life, someone, several someone else's life, maybe someone you love's life. Again, this is Mario Chavez. This is My Life Plus 25. Thank you for your contributions on your time.